Welcome to The Sober Unicorn. We are a gay-hosted, all-inclusive podcast about sobriety and addiction recovery for the LGBT plus community and all of our allies. I'm your host, Holden, and thank you for joining us today. Hey, 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 it's Holden. I am an alcoholic. I hope everybody's doing well today. Today, I'm being joined by Andy. Hey, how are you? Doing well. How are you, Andy? I'm fantastic. Thanks for uh, allowing me to be a part of this. It's pretty cool. Of course. And I'm glad to have you on. Um, everybody, Andy and I actually met through Instagram. Um, he is the organizer of the Columbus, Ohio chapter of what's called Ben's Friends, um, which is an organization that I think a lot of people could use and need, um, especially when they're in the service industry and uh, struggling with addiction. But before we jump into that, why don't we talk a little bit about you, Andy? So why don't you tell everybody kind of your age, sobriety day, and what your drug of choice was? Absolutely. I am 49 years old. Um, my uh, sobriety date is April 7th, 2011. So I recently celebrated um, 11 years. Um, I My drug of choice was booze, um, but also uh, dabbled in cocaine, which I think is pretty uh, prerequisite for the restaurant industry. Uh, my story is very restaurant heavy. Um, so when Ben's friends came along, which is a sober support community for restaurant people or people in uh, hospitality or really any industry that's, uh, you know, customer facing, um, when that came along years into my sobriety, it was a pretty, pretty nice, uh, matchup because I've been pretty vocal. I'm very vocal actually about my sobriety. So, um, coming on stuff like this and having the opportunity to talk about both Ben's friends and being sober is something I really, I really appreciate. Yeah. I mean, it's very important to share your story. I heard a quote one time and saying that uh, your story could be the key to unlock somebody else's prison. And so I think I also try to live out loud with being sober. So to give um, everybody back to who you are, why don't you kind of give us a history of what led up to you wanting or needing to get sober and how that journey went? Sure. Um, my, uh, journey was aided very much by, uh, legal consequences. I am very much a result of the court slips. I was court ordered to AA off and on for about 12 years. Um, but, uh, well, that whole time I was a bartender, uh, a server, bar manager. So, um, I feel restaurants specifically like if, if people ask me why are restaurants so different like why do restaurants handle alcoholism drug abuse a lot of things actually different it's a really great place to hide if you're an alcoholic because everybody's going out every night you're around booze all the time i mean you can't you can i mean i've worked at quite a few jobs where it's pretty okay to drink at work um i kind of prided myself on the fact that i didn't until i did uh or do cocaine at work i told myself I'd never do that until I did. Um, so I got into restaurants very young. Uh, I worked at a place called the Brown Derby here in Columbus, Ohio, which no longer exists. I was the guy in charge of the salad bar and I was a busboy. And I was, I had to go downtown. I had to go downtown to get a work permit. So I was 14 years old. And one crazy night, the two uh, hillbilly dishwashers walked out and the manager, John asked me if I would stay. He said, I'll give you 20 bucks. If you stay and wash dishes, I stayed there till about three in the morning. He gave me 20 bucks. They fed me beers all night. All the pretty girls talked to me and that was it. I was in restaurants for forever. Uh, I staggered home. My parents didn't say a word because they knew I worked late. 
Um, I've definitely used the restaurant business as a great excuse to avoid my family because my drinking was pretty, getting pretty out of control pretty quick. Um, I racked up a couple DUIs. Uh, you know, it was one of those things of like, well, at least I don't have a DUI, then I get a DUI. Well, at least I don't have two, then I get two. At least I don't have three, um, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, at least in Columbus, Ohio, uh, the Franklin County Probation Department um, starts paying attention after you rack up a couple and they started getting pretty hardcore about the meetings. And um, I don't, it, it's, it's a better story if I say it was my first meeting, but I heard somebody say, it's not the last drink that fucks you up, it's the first drink. Um, am I allowed to curse on here, is that okay? Yes. Okay, good, because <laughs> it's kind of part of my, my thing. Um, and I remember thinking, okay, these people, these people have nothing in common with me. You know, I'm too young, I'm too, I'm a bartender. Like, you don't know where I'm working, you don't know who I'm fucking, you don't know the kind of money I'm making, you bunch of lamos. But I would hear things like that and it made sense when I didn't want it to make sense. Um, I heard a guy thank the Franklin County Probation Department for sending him to Alcoholics Anonymous. And I thought that was the craziest thing I ever heard because it, to me, it was a fucking punishment, you know? Uh, it was a punitive measure, um, which, you know, ultimately I see both sides of that, but, you know, sitting here now, years later, I understand that I got really lucky. You know, I, I figured out what it was and where it was. And I would tell people like, you know, restaurant people just sit around and bullshit like anybody else. And I would also fake my court slips, you know, I'd, I'd go to like one real meeting and then, you know, Fred Flintstone or fucking whatever. But I, I was under the impression they would send those off to the lab in Washington. So I would have other people sign them. Like, you know, it was like this fucking weird game. And I remember my buddy Dave, we were sitting in a bar and he's signing my court slip. And uh, he said, have you ever actually gone to these meetings? And I'm like, you know what? They're for people that have nothing left. Like I had, I had, a, I had a weird respect for Alcoholics Anonymous, even though I wanted nothing to do with it. You know, it was like, yeah, it helps people, you know, the structure and blah, blah, whatever. Not for me, you know, I'm not that bad. Um, but luckily I became one of those people. So I bounced around in restaurants. That's another thing about restaurants. You can get fired from a restaurant job and have a better job an hour later. Um, and it's all cash. Uh, again, you're allowed to get fucked up at work. Um, it's your social life. It's your dating life. It's all that stuff. So after I got fired quite a few times, I landed at a place uh, here in Columbus. Um, it's still in existence, uh, which is like a like a 2 a.m. bar. Like, you know, let's, let's go and get fucked up bar. Um, it was me and a bunch of girls. Uh, the guy in the kitchen sold cocaine and it, the money was bonkers and I was in charge. So, you know, what could possibly go wrong? Uh, we'd be there till five, six, seven in the morning, you know, drinking, doing fucking whatever. Um, the stories from that bar, insane. Like, like the, the stories you hear in meetings are nuts. Like some of the funniest shit you'll ever hear in your life. You throw on the restaurant piece, it gets a little crazy. Um, and that just became normal. You know, that, that was my normal. So I was happy to be dating a girl who did not work in restaurants and who was real sick of my shit because I would just turn my phone off for like three days and disappear with, you know, fucking whoever. And the third or fourth time I did that to her, uh, I showed up at her house, you know, I, here, here's what it's like working in a restaurant like that. You go out, you get completely fucking crazy. All you gotta do is make it to bed for at least like an hour, wake up and it's a new day. Like just nothing happened, you know? 
So I just wanted to go to bed. I wanted to, you know, sleep for 20 minutes and go back to work and do it again. You know, there was a night, I very distinctly remember a night, I was the only one working, so it was slow. And I would wait on somebody, run in the back and throw up. Wait on somebody, run in the back and throw up. I did that about three or four times. And the poor guy, Camarino in the kitchen said, are you okay? And I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm fucking not okay. Uh, until I stopped throwing up. And then the first thing I did was a shot of Jaeger. You know, you, you, all, all you have to do is show up to work and do your job, like regardless of what shape you're in. Um, and I've been doing it so long and still doing it actually, that it's just, you know, muscle memory at this point. So she strongly suggested that I go to a program, uh, a little rehab here in Columbus. And she said something very smart. She said, you know, if, cause I got insurance through this job. So I was a manager. She said, you know, if they, uh, if you opt to go to rehab legally, they can't fire you. So I was like, oh, I'll just, <laughs> I'll go back to the bar where I get free blowjobs and cocaine. That's, you know, what, what that's ideal. You know, I'll go get sober and uh, have all this all figured out in a fucking week. And obviously that didn't happen. Um, what did happen, however, was that I went through a program. I was there for, I think, nine days and I got like the science of this stuff. Um, I recently got a counseling um, certificate online. And it was all like the science, like the neurons and all that kind of stuff. Um, the, the science of addiction. And um, somehow what I got out of that was the shit we tell ourselves is ridiculous, that I couldn't work in a restaurant anymore. I couldn't work in a bar anymore. That was my problem. So when I got out, I sat down with the owner who's kind of an intimidating guy and I said, I can't work here anymore. I can't work in a restaurant. I can't work in a bar. That's the issue. And he was like, okay, whatever. All he cared about was, you know, how much blow were the other people doing? How much, you know, how much were you giving away? That kind of shit. So he said, you know, good luck, whatever. Um, I had a fake sobriety date because I started drinking like immediately. Uh, I went to work in a cell phone company, which I immediately hated. Uh, it was sales. And I distinctly remember one night a guy said, hey, we're all going to go out after work. Do you want to go? And I said, no, I, I can't. I can't go out with you guys. That's dangerous. When I drink, bad things happen. So I went to go see a movie by myself, um, the first Daniel Craig Bond movie. Um, I had a couple of years prior to this last sobriety date. Uh, and I went into a bar, I swear to God, for one drink. And a couple hours later, I was being chased by the police because I went down the wrong way down one way street. I think I was trying to text somebody. I don't know. I hit a car, backed up, took off. I didn't hit the car significantly enough that they couldn't drive, so they followed me. And uh, I, I noticed they were following me. I pulled over and I said, why are you following me? The guy said, you just hit me. And I was like, oh, fair enough. So I got back in my car and took off. And next thing I know, there's five cruisers around me, you know, you know, out in the street, hands on the back of the head, that whole thing. The arresting officer didn't care that I had been sober for five months, because I think I told him about a hundred times before I peed my pants in the back of the cruiser. Um, so I woke up in jail again, and um, in my delusional denial mind, I thought I had actually tried. Like I, I'd given it my own, you know, like what the fuck, I can't figure this shit out. So I decided in that moment to um, kill myself. As soon as I got out, you know, my parents would come and bail me out like they always did. And I'd never really seriously thought about killing myself, but I imagined I could Google it, like, you know, the car in the garage kind of thing. And two things popped into my head. Number one was my mom at my funeral. 
which I wasn't okay with. And number two were all those things that I'd heard in AA. Like it's not the last drink that fucks you up, it's the first drink. The guy thanking the Franklin County Probation Department for sending him to AA. And like, like saying this out loud, I, I realize what it may sound like to people on here who are not sober, but it was literally a moment of clarity. Like, what if they're right? What if those weird people I have nothing in common with are right? And then the next thought actually was like, what if I'd blown my chance? Like, what if I went and bullshitted them for 12 years and I wasn't allowed to come back? And as you know, and I think a lot of people on here know, that is so not the case. And um, walked my happy ass up to a meeting. Um, as soon as I got out, it was around Thanksgiving of 2006. And somebody said, if you're new, raise your hand. I raised my hand. He said, do you have a book? And instead of yes, I cried for 20 minutes. And the amount of people in that meeting that reached out was unbelievable. And, you know, I, it's it, honestly one of the best days of my life. So a guy gave me his number, I actually called him. We actually hung out. He was my sponsor for a while. And um, I mean, the last thing I'll say is he, he told me something very important because I was really freaked out. I had some really pretty serious legal ramifications coming up. Like I thought I was going to prison. Um, and out of frustration of me just bitching about, you know, jail time and all this stuff, he said, look, you're not running away from shit anymore. You're running towards something. And that's what I tell people to this day. You know, uh, the stuff I heard in the first year of my sobriety is the stuff I repeat to this day. And um, it's magical. It was amazing. So that's what mostly got me here. Yeah. And so, I mean, of course, as you said, you kind of left the restaurant industry, went to a phone store. Did you, of course, go back to the restaurant industry? I did. What happened was, um, actually, I was talking about this today. Uh, the bar that I worked for, uh, like I said, the owner was a little, uh, a little shady. I'm not gonna lie to you, but he owned a couple bars here in Columbus. And um, right as I was about to go to jail, I got a call from one of my coworkers, who's actually sober now too. She said, "Hey, have you gotten your check yet?" And I was like, "What do you mean? I don't know what you're talking about. I've been out of the game for a little while." Um, she said, "Well, they were investigated by the Department of Labor. They were skimming." off people's paycheck. I mean, you're there for the tips. Who, who notices that? And supposedly the bookkeeper, instead of sending them the employee list for one restaurant, sent them all restaurants. So they had to pay out like, I think it was the, the amount I heard was 175 to like, like here, we'll make you whole, just don't sue us. So I got a check for $3,000. And I, I say to people, I'm like, if you get sober, you're not going to get a check for $3,000, but I did. So I just dicked around and went to meetings for six months. It was actually, it was a fucking miracle. It was the best thing that could have happened. And what I learned in AA and what I preach today is that you can do anything you want, but we, we know that. So why does that not include working in a restaurant? Like if you have a reason to be there, if you have a reason to be there, um, your program's solid, fucking do it, whatever. And I, I would argue that for me, at least, I mean, I hated working the cell phone uh, store and I looked at the call center and wanted to like kill myself. Um, if I sat behind a desk and wasn't like in the social, you know, atmosphere, I'd probably drink, you know? So the restaurant business has A, aided my sobriety. B, I've, this is me waxing my own car a little bit, but I, I've been able to help a lot of people. Like you can't swing a dead cat in a fucking restaurant without hitting an alcoholic. I mean, I work with people right now that drink behind the bar. More power to you. You know, you want to talk? I'm here. If not, fuck it. I've been you. I know exactly what it's like. So um, 
yeah, I definitely went back to restaurants. I went back slowly, to be honest with you. But as you know, life gets better as you get more sober, you get more responsible, you get more trustworthy. I have people approaching me now for jobs, like pretty early. Like, oh, you're sober now? Because when I got sober, nobody asked why. I was a fucking mess. But I took out that one thing and it was like click. Like people wanted to be around me. Like the people that were around me, the places I worked just got better and better. You're listening to The Sober Unicorn. We'll be right back after this short break. This episode is brought to you by Von Shine Creatives at handmadeandgreat.com. Von Shine Creatives is a sober-owned business featuring finely crafted goat's milk and vegan soaps. Treat yourself for someone you love today. Take $5 off of 25 on all your purchases site-wide, and remember, it's always free shipping. Use the coupon code SOBER, which helps support Von Shine Creatives and the Sober Unicorn Podcast all at once. Link and coupon code will be in the bio. Now back to our episode. So when did you stumble across Ben's friends? And then at what point did you want to start the own chapter in Columbus? Well, I was on Facebook one night um, in that time frame. I got married and I was, uh, I, I want to say we were on vacation. So I think we were in a hotel for some reason. And I was just dicking around on Facebook. You see these articles, you know, whatever. And it said, Charleston Group starts uh, sober support community for restaurants. And it was a picture of the guy that I would later know as Mickey. And um, I read it and I was like, wow, this is fucking amazing. Like, you know. Um, up to that point, I had been like, I found Facebook as soon as I got sober and it was either pictures of my dog or me talking about being sober and working in restaurants. So it was almost like I'd been doing it before. Like I've been doing R and D on it. So I took it another step and I shot them an email that said, Hey, this is fantastic. Uh, Columbus, Ohio is, you know, becoming a pretty good food town. You guys should start one here because the cities at that point were Austin, Texas, uh, Portland, Oregon, um, God, I want to say Charleston, obviously. But anyway, big food cities is my point. And they immediately shot back, or I remembered it as immediately, an email that said, that's a great idea. You should start it. And at the time, I was the general manager of this tiny little, um, I hate the term, but gastro pub. Uh, so fucking gross. But it was a really cool job really cool people in a really cool part of town, but I was the only manager and I was working a lot of fucking hours. And I showed us my wife and I took a day or two and I said, you know, there's, this is a lot of responsibility, but I think it's really important. Like, I can't imagine, you know, this not taking off in Columbus. And if I'm going to be the one to do it, fuck it, let's do it. So then another huge company got wind of it, uh, Cameron Mitchell Restaurants. I forget where you're at, but I don't know if they're there. They're nationwide at this point. Um, I'm in Fort Worth, so I have no idea. Yeah, there, there might be. I don't know. He has one concept that's gone around the country, but there's an actual Cameron Mitchell. He's a local guy. Um, he owns a ton of restaurants here, but it's like you know, a little more corporate, that kind of thing. Um, once they got involved, they were doing marketing. Like, we're not anonymous, which I love. Um, marketing, I was doing, like, podcasts, uh, interviews, things like that. The fucking news showed up on our first meeting. Um, Mickey Bass is a co he, he, a co, um, sorry, creator, I guess, mm. a guy named Steve Palmer. Steve Palmer owns a chain, that's not a chain, a group of restaurants uh, that are um, more like on this side of the country. Like he's very successful. And Mickey was like the concierge of the year. He knows literally everybody. 
Like it's crazy the amount of people he knows. But they worked with a guy named Ben Murray. Um, I think Ben worked directly for Steve and Ben was uh, struggling. And um, they were opening a restaurant somewhere and Ben was in a hotel room and Ben didn't show up to work. And they found out later Ben took his own life um, because of drugs and alcohol. And from everything I've heard, Ben was just a great guy, like a really, really good dude. Um, so I think, in my opinion, out of more frustration, they said, because they've both been sober a long time, they said, fuck it. Let's just start like a little a meet, a meeting where restaurant people come and just they can ask questions about being sober. They can talk about being sober. No real structure to it. You know, obviously, a lot of people got sober through AA. You know, that's the language I speak. Um, but we're not an AA meeting. You know, it's um, here's how I did it if you'd like to do it. And then it just kind of continued from there. I think Seattle might have been the second meeting. I can't remember. Um, but then we went online when the lockdown happened and we are still online. And that was, that was such a fucking game changer for everybody because it was a meeting a week in Columbus, Ohio for me. I think we'd been meeting six months, if that, before the lockdown hit. And suddenly I'm looking at a Zoom meeting. Like I, I'm not good with computers at all. So I had to turn my porn and music machine into a meeting machine overnight. And I was literally in tears. Luckily, there's Kate Wellman in Seattle, who I think she uh, was working on a doctorate at the time or something. And she sent out a video of like, look, here's exactly how you like, like, explain it to me like I'm nine. And she did. And we went online and we have a 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time meeting every single day um, for the last, God, almost three years now. Uh, there's an 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time meeting Monday, Thursday and Saturday. And then there's a men's meeting and a women's meeting on Wednesdays. And the amount of people that I've met, like other people like myself who can't shut up about being sober in restaurants, and I know I'm very long-winded right now, um, it was it was it was amazing. It was magical. It was like a like a new start to my sobriety, to be honest with you. It kind of like like reignited it. Yeah, because I've I've met uh, one person that, that works in the re restaurant industry that's sober, and he for him it actually helped him, mm -hmm. like because he is a bartender and he's like three years sober now. And he said that, like, seeing how drunk and how foolish many of these people act while there um, helps him keep sober. But for many others, um, that can be triggering to them. So yeah. especially when they spill vodka on their hands and then next thing you know, they're smelling it the rest of the night. I know before I got sober, a friend of mine, she was um, she's almost nine years in. She spilled tequila. She was serving me tequila, spilled it on her hand. And I was like, oh, just lick it up. And she's like, no, I can't do that whole day. And I was like, why have, why not? And she's like, because the spiraling out of control. And I was like, no, you're fine. But now that I'm sober, me and her have had a conversation of like, I can't believe how not supportive I was then. Right. Um, especially to somebody that was struggling as much as she was in the beginning. So, I mean, it's so important that nobody in the rest, nobody outside of the restaurant industry understands what service workers go through. How much stress? I mean, we as AA have this whole like step four, step five, these resentments, these people that pissed us off that day to step 10 it with somebody immediately. And but for people in the industry, you're getting cussed out. You're getting a drink thrown at you. You're being disrespected almost on a daily basis. And yet you're in the weeds per se in, in the restaurant industry to get crazy busy. You don't have that time to some kind of recollect yourself. So it's hard right. for anybody out of the industry to kind of 
un- fully understand what somebody in the service food industry goes through. Well, that's, I mean, you make a really good point in the fact that, you know, restaurants, um, obviously this is not a, an affliction exclusive to restaurants that goes without saying, but we, yeah, we deal with different struggles that people don't really get. Um, and we, I'm glad you said I could curse on here because Mickey, the, the co-creator of this whole thing, cusses like a fucking sailor, you know, and that's part of it, you know, line cooks, servers, bartenders, whatever. We have that like gallows humor, which is a big part of AA, um, which I love, you know, like in an A meeting or a Ben's friends meeting, you can hear the funniest thing you've ever heard. And then the next part of the sentence is the saddest thing you've ever heard. And then you're inspired. You know what I mean? So we all are talkers, at least front of the house guys, gals. Um, We're also really good at something that has, I've kind of been struggling with even lately of being disingenuous like i can't imagine a more codependent business where like if i'm serving your table i have an hour and a half to make you my best friend and you're going to show me how much you like me by my tip like i've been doing that for 25 years so i can tell you exactly what you want to hear so i remember when i first got sober and there's a a girl today at ben's friends crying like crying hard and that's because you're finally telling the truth like when i got up and gave my first lead I blubbered through it because I'm not used to, I'm not used to being honest with people. I'm a fucking liar, a cheat and a thief, you know? And we restaurant people take that a step further. You know, I think that we, we lie for, you know, a living. I mean, I can, I can sell this fucking booze. I've gotten lucky in the fact that, like I said, the restaurants I've worked in got better and better. They, I, I wasn't drinking a, you know, 1996 Barolo when I was fucked up. I wasn't drinking the whatever fucking sour beers out there now, whatever. Um, I'm, I'm glad I met, missed that whole thing. This fucking beer craziness is stupid, but I can sell it. I mean, what's the difference between me selling a car and me selling you a bottle of wine? You know what I mean? And alcohol and wine specifically is so fucking subjective anyway. If I get it in the ballpark, I have a very good friend of mine who uh, has sat for the master psalm test a couple of times. And he's so fucking cool. And his thing is, you if you can't inundate him with information, dazzle him with bullshit. That's what selling wine is. And he's very successful at it. Um, so I think that, you know, to your point, yeah, we have different, not way different, but like, yeah, there's, there's different issues of people being rude to you. And I, honestly, you know, me being rude to other people, apologizing to my coworkers. I'm at the point now I'm at 11 years in, um, it becomes kind of muscle memory. Like I, if I piss, I fucking lied to my manager a week ago and <laughs> sat there and said, you know what? I'm not okay with that. And I went up to her and I said, look, I lied to you. I'm really sorry. You know, today I do it different. You know, I didn't go into like, this is my 10th step, you know, whatever. But, um, I try to keep myself accountable today. And that that's fucking AA hundred percent. That's not yeah, accountability is key. I think. I mean, I understand bullshitting to the, the the customers for like beers, wines, everything like that. I mean, that's just part of sales. I think in any industry, you're going to bullshit your way into making that sale and making the, the ticket price higher. But when it comes to your manager and the people that you work with, there's no reason to lie to them because they, they know the same bullshit that you're going through. Just like me and my industry, everybody in my industry knows the same bullshit that we go through on a daily basis. So like, those are the people that we should be as honest and genuine with as possible. Um, and then of course, then we have the rooms for the people that don't understand our sobriety. 
you have Ben's friends or impossibly still AA that I go through the AA program as well. So that's when I go to those rooms and talk to those fellows about other things that I can't even talk to people at work about. Yeah. I mean, that's how it works, right? One drunk talking to another drunk. And that's just Ben's friends is an extension of that. Like if you say I've done X, Y, Z, four people in the room are going to say, yeah, I did that too. You know, I, I, I surprised my, not surprised. I had one thing on my fifth step that my sponsor said he never did, but he goes, I know somebody that did. <laughs> oh my God. It's, we always think that our stuff is like the worst things possible oh. until we start saying it out loud. And then when I started saying things out loud on the reason I was mad with people, I was like, you are an idiot. Like hearing yourself say it out loud is much, much, much different. Yeah. I actually was, since I was court ordered to AA for 12 years, um, I, I'm stealing this line from my friend Todd. He uh, runs the Ben's Friends in DC. It took me 12 years to get 11, but I thought I knew what AA was. I thought I knew how it worked. And then I explained what I thought to my sponsor and same reaction. He's like, okay, you're completely wrong, but here's how we actually do it. And, you know, that's that's a big part of it too. Like, you know, restaurant people, we, we bring the party. We, um, it's my job to go in and have fun with people, especially bartending. The hard part of bartending is not the drinks. The hard part is holding seven conversations at once and making everybody like you, um, or, or at least want to tip you. I don't fucking know, whatever. Um, so when I was thinking, I mean, I would always think about getting sober. I'm not going to be able to bartend. I'm not going to be funny. I'm never going to get laid. Um, and it's so funny to me how, without going into detail, all that is the opposite of what happened. Like literally the opposite. Like I became a better server. I became a better manager. I became a better bartender. I became a better boyfriend. I became a better husband. I became better everything. My wife will joke around. She'll say, I wouldn't like you when you were drinking. I'm like, we wouldn't have been in the same fucking room. Like I never would have met you in a million years. Um, and it's just wild to me, the, the, like a, a topic at Ben's friends, since we're not AA, we can talk about whatever we want. Um, the bullshit we tell ourselves, which is like, you know, the beginning of the third chapter, you know, drank natural wine, only drank on whatever. Mm -hmm. With restaurants, it's, it's, it's crazy. Like, like, you know, well, I'm only going to drink whiskey tonight. You know, there's a girl, <laughs> there's a girl that I work with now that I hope doesn't listen to this, but she, she was a little fucked up one night. And the next day she's like, sorry about that. Uh, the manager knows I have, uh, what is it, like anxiety or something. So I have to drink behind the bar. I was like, of course you do. <laughs> of course you do. So it's just, I don't know. Re restaurants are definitely a place, like you said, your friend said, to keep you sober. Um, but that way. But for me, it's going in, doing a great job, not stealing, not, you know, trying to fuck around on my wife, not, um, you know, cutting corners like I used to do. Um that's that's the little shit that keeps me sober like you want you want self-esteem do esteem little things because exactly. i was a terrible employee for a real long time so now i'm trying to be a good employee well which is always a good thing to do your best and be able to be in a mindset to perform as well as you know you can mm -hmm. and especially not beginning greed and not cutting those corners because eventually like you will get caught you will get caught in your bullshit and your lies and so it's just better to do it in an authentic way. So if you do fuck up, you can go like, okay, this is a learning experience, not a opportunity to lie and deceive. So for anybody listening that may think that a Ben's friend needs to be started 
in their city. Um, how would they go about that? That's a great question. Go to bensfriendshope.com. That's where you're going to find um, all the cities, links to all the meetings, a way to contact them and say, hey, I want to start one in Tuscaloosa, wherever. Um, when we went online, that allowed us to reach out to more people. So uh, in the last year or so, like Sonoma, California opened up, San Francisco, Chicago, Detroit, I want to say New York's coming, which New York could probably do a couple. Um, but yeah, that's it. What I would say is this, and this is exactly what Mickey said to me the first time I talked to him. What it does for your sobriety, personally, is insane. Like, and we didn't even know Zoom was coming then. You know what I mean? Like, Zoom has changed a lot. I'm actually in the process of moving to Portland, Oregon with my wife. She took a job with um, a kombucha company. But a big reason for me to go is because I've met everybody in the Portland Benz friends online. So I have this, like, awesome little community out there of people who are, like, willing to do whatever. You know how it is. Like, you know, it's it's people show the fuck up like you're responsible <laughs> well and too it's also like no matter where you go the moment they know you're part of a program that they're a part of it's like this immediate connection mm. so no matter what ben's friends location you may go to and the people you meet you're gonna have this common ground so before we get to the end of the episode um is there anything that you haven't shared that you would like to um i just wanted to uh make sure that everybody knows about Ben's friends um, because I think it's, I think it's a really cool program. We have people that come on, uh, especially the online meeting. It's, it's the definition of, it can be at least anonymity because zoom, like you don't have to be on camera. You don't have to put your real name on there. We have people that pop on and say, just listening. Um, I run the Monday one and I say that I'm like, look, I gravitate towards new people. I'll call on you. Cause that's the easiest way to do it in zoom. If you don't want to talk today, let me know. If you're just here to listen, um, I've, I, we've had a lot of people say, you know, speaking from experience, AA is scary. You know what I mean? Like when you don't know anything about it. I took a guy to his first meeting. He's got about 14 years now. I saw him today and I took him to a meeting um, here on the north side of Columbus, Ohio. He'll put his hand on a Bible and say there were 400 people there and it's like 28. That's how scary it is to walk into a meeting. So if we can make it a little bit easier, like, hey, this isn't scary. This is just restaurant people bullshitting. Um, I'm really, really proud of that because we've turned a lot of people on to a, we're not a program of recovery. We turned a lot of people on to a program of recovery. And also, you know, one thing I, I definitely want to say to if anybody's listening that is um, considering getting sober, you know, the thousand pound phone thing. If you reach out to somebody that's helping that person more than you know. I'm sure you've experienced that. Like, you know, somebody calls me, you know, don't call me fucked up, maybe the first time, but that's pointless. But if you reach out to me on Facebook or something like that, I get to talk about being sober for a while. And that's that's fantastic to me. So yeah, I think any alcoholic, whether you're program-based or not, I think helping somebody else in addiction is the one of the most fulfilling things that we can have in sobriety. So of course, Ben's friends, as well as you, how can anybody listening get a hold of you as Andy and then get a hold of the Columbus um, chapter of Ben's friends. Uh, sure. I'm on Instagram as sobriety shaken, which is um, a little thing I'm working on to go into restaurants and talk about sobriety in restaurants um, or Ben's friends uh, national Instagram, follow that. And that'll keep you updates on where we meet when we meet. But again, we're online. Um, 
uh, Zoom every day at 1 p.m., my time at least. Uh, there is one in Austin, Texas, by the way. Uh, and um, some really amazing, really amazing people running, like actually some big food names. Like if you take a look at the, the website, which again, we're not anonymous. Um, there's some pretty, pretty impressive people in there. Well, awesome. Thank you so much, Andy, for joining us today. Yeah, thank you so much. It was great meeting you. Thank you again for listening to today's episode. Hit that follow button to be notified about new episodes every week. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can find us on Instagram at the Sober Unicorn Podcast or on our website at thesoberunicornpodcast.com. There you will find our episodes as well as our very own sober-owned shop featuring products from small businesses that are sober-owned. And remember, everyone, don't be normal, be a unicorn, but better yet, be a sober unicorn. Sober Unicorn.